Hi everyone, welcome to part 10 of our dental hygiene board review seminar. And in this section, we're going to be covering pharmacology. Okay, so I'm going to do a comprehensive review of pharmacology, but I'm going to start out with three paragraphs that I talked to my friends who have already taken boards and they said for sure, know these drugs. Okay? Um, they said, know the drugs that cause xerostomia, know um, the antihypertensive drugs, and know drugs that cause certain side effects. So we're going to start with that. And you probably can tell I'm starting to get a little stressed out. Um, it's a Friday. I've been doing this for about a week, and I take boards next Wednesday. So yes, I'm getting a little, little anxious. Um, okay, so we'll get started. Drugs that cause xerostomia, we have antihistamine drugs, such as diphenhydramine, better known as Benadryl, and loratadine, which is Claritin. These are antihistamine drugs that cause xerostomia. Then we have antidepressant drugs such as citalopram, which is Celexa, fluoxetine, which is Prozac, bupropion, which is Wellbutrin, and we also have Zoloft. And sertraline is the generic for Zoloft. We also have uh, anti-anxiety drugs. Most of the anti-anxiety drugs, um, they end in Z-PAM or Zolam. So Z-E-P-A-M or Z-O-L-A-M. So uh, some of those drugs are diazepam, which is Valium, lorazepam, which is Ativan, alprazolam, which is Xanax, and then we also have like Ambien and Lunesta. Now, antipsychotic drugs that end in ZIDE and Apine, A P I N E, such as Clazepine or Clazepine, which is Clozaril, and Chlorpromazine, which is Thorazine. Also, anti emetic drugs such as Alka-Seltzer, anti-Parkinson drugs such as Levodopa, and then also, some, I guess it's a drug, chemo and radiation <clears throat> is added to that list. It also causes xerostomia. Next, we're going to talk about the antihypertensive drugs, and they also cause xerostomia. So diuretics, such as hydrochlorothiazide, also known as HCTZ. It's hydrochlorothiazide, and it causes xerostomia, and it's a diuretic and uh, hypertensive, anti-hypertensive drug. Then we have beta blockers. They're the ones that end in O-L-O-L. Oh, LOL, such as Timolol or Timoptol, Adenol, Atenol, Atenolol, 
also known as Tenormin, Metropol, Metoprolol, also known as Lopressor. Then we have the calcium channel blockers that end in pine, P-I-N-E, such as nifedipine, also known as Procardia. Then, Diltiazem, also known as Cardizem. And we have Amlodipine, also known as Norvasac, Norvasc. Then, Paramapil, also known as Isoptin. Then we have the ACE inhibitors that end in Pril, such as Inapril, also known as Vasotec, and then Lisinopril, also known as Zestril or Retinavil. And we have the ARBs or TANs, Losartan, also known as Cozar. Then there's the drugs that cause gingival enlargement. Cyclosporine is used to prevent organ rejection, and it causes gingival enlargement. Calcium channel blockers used for hypertension, which is the ones that end in pine. So, nifedipine, procardia, diltazam, cardizam, amlodipine, norvasc, and verapamil, isoptin. Not only does that cause xerostomia, but it also causes gingival enlargement. So the calcium channel blockers. And then also, fentoin, also known as dilantin, which is used as an anti-seizure medication, also causes gingival enlargement. And then other side effects from other drugs that are of importance is that if patients have a prolonged use of antibiotics, immunosuppressants, or corticosteroids, it increases the chance for the patient to have candidiasis. So candidiasis is another side effect of medications from prolonged use of antibiotics, immunosuppressants, or corticosteroids. Also, inhalers for respiratory diseases can cause candidiasis or thrush. Um, Digitalis, also known as digoxin, used for heart disorders, can exacerbate a gag reflex. Blood thinners, such as warfarin and coumadin, can cause prolonged bleeding, and you can add aspirin to that list. Um, And NSAIDs are, you're not supposed to use NSAIDs if you have asthma or any kind of bleeding disorders, I believe, or when you're pregnant. And then metronidazole can cause black hairy tongue and a metallic taste in the mouth. So honestly, pharmacology was not my best subject. So that's why I was really trying to learn these drugs that I feel like are the most important ones to know. Um, before the boards but also we have um, I have a list of classifications of drugs and their endings that I'm going to go over and emergency drugs so ACE inhibitors for hypertension 
They typically end in pril, P-R-I-L. An example is enalapril. Anti-anxiety medications that uh, some typically end in L-A-M or P-A-M, such as diazepam. Then we have hyper, sorry, anti-hyperlipidemic medications that usually end in statin. Or and an example is lovastatin. Antiviral drugs typically end in VIR, such as acyclovir. We have uh, beta blockers, which typically end in OLOL, such as propandolol, propandolol, <laughs> diuretics, such as uh, diuretics that end in M-I-D-E or Z-I-D-E, such as hydrochlorothiazide, which is the H-T-Z-D or whatever. Local anesthetics typically end in cane, C-A-I-N-E, such as mepivacaine. And then opioids, they can typically end with D-O-N-E, like hydrocodone. Then we have these emergency drugs, Um, for anaphylaxis we use epinephrine for hypoxia we use oxygen for a bronchospasm or asthma attack we use albuterol we use nitroglycerin for angina pectoris diazepam for seizures even though it's an anti-anxiety medication that's what we use for seizures aspirin We use for a myocardial infarction. We use glucagon for a hypoglycemic patient. And we use ammonia for someone who has syncope. Okay, so let's go through some basic definitions. Toxicology is the study of harmful or toxic effects of drugs. Um... Synergism. This is getting more than the desired effects when taking two drugs. So you're taking this drug for uh, this and another drug for that, but you take them together and you get uh, a really big effect that you weren't expecting. That's like synergism. Tolerance, a decreased effect of a drug over time with the patient needing larger doses to achieve the same effect. So people who take uh, opioids like hydrocodone, if they take that for a while, eventually it doesn't work for them anymore and they have to start taking more. Um, Some pharmacological abbreviations, QD means once a day, BID is twice a day, TID is three times a day, PC is after meals, AC is before meals, PO is by mouth, PRN is as needed, so like an inhaler would be PRN, HS is at bedtime, SIG, this means look at your label for instructions for use, um, and then UD is as directed. So we'll take a minute and talk about the uh, routes of administration. 
We have the Enteral Administration, and this uses the GI tract. It's the safest, slowest, and most variable route. Um, you have three paths of Enteral Administration. You have oral, sublingual, and rectal. Oral is when the drug is swallowed, such as ibuprofen. It may cause GI upset as the drug is largely absorbed in the small intestines. You do have the first pass effect. This is where the drug metabolizes in the GI and liver before it reaches the systemic circulation. So first pass effect. The drug is already metabolized in the GI and the liver before it reaches the systemic circulation. Um, this one is the only one with the first pass effect, this oral enteral ad administration. Um, and it does significantly reduce the amount of drug available. Number two is sublingual. This is where the drug is placed underneath the tongue, such as nitroglycerin or suboxone. Capillaries under the tongue speed up the absorption. Commonly used for nitrates to relieve cardiac conditions. Sorry, this avoids the first pass effect. And number three is rectal, where the drug is placed in the rectum, also avoids the first pass effect. So that's enteral, enteral administration. Next is parenteral administration. This has no first pass effect, which we already talked about. The drugs bypass the GI tract. There are six different um, routes. Number one, intravenous, where the drug directly enters the systemic circulation. Uh, it's an injection, an IV. It's what it, it's an IV, and it's the drug goes directly into the bloodstream. Number two is intramuscular, where the drug is injected into the muscles because of the high volume of blood flow in those areas. So an example is an epipen gets stabbed directly into your leg or your butt or wherever. Um, number three is subcutaneous. So that's the drug is injected under the skin, but not into the muscles. And subcutaneous, that's what we do for insulin. Because we don't want that to be digested into the intestines. So we just put it directly under the skin. So it's subcutaneous. Intradermal, this is where the drug is injected into the dermal layer. Intradermal is... An example is like when they do allergy testing or the TB skin test. Number five is topical or transdermal. This is where the drug is applied to the body surface and is absorbed slowly by the capillaries under the skin. So we're talking about like hydrocortisone or nicotine patches and... Oh, the topical drugs are more concentrated, so they need to be closely monitored. And then number six, we have inhalation. That is where a drug is absorbed in through the lungs, such as nitrous oxide or albuterol. Um, pharmacodynamics is how the drug affects the body. So it's the study of the effects and of drugs and their mechanism of action. 
So, yes, pharmacodynamics is what the drug does to the body. Um, drugs combine with the receptor cells of the target area. We have agonist and antagonist. An agonist is a receptor activator that stimulates an action. An antagonist is a receptor blocker that prevents or cancels the action. So agonist stimulates the action. Antagonist prevents or cancels it. Um, now we're going to talk about the relationship between drug dose and the desired, desired result. Um, okay. Therapeutic action. This is the desired result. Therapeutic range is the range between the dose causing the minimum effect and the dose causing the minimum adverse effect. And there's something called a therapeutic index. We also call it a TI. It is a number that determines the safety of a drug. Okay. The higher the TI is the safer the drug. The lower the TI is the more dangerous the drug can become or is. So we'll go through them. Yes. The bigger the TI number, the safer the drug. So the lower the TI, the more dangerous it is. That's all we're going to do with that. Um, potency. This is the amount needed to achieve the desired effect. Efficacy. This is the maximal response obtained by a drug. Administering more drugs will not increase the efficacy of the drug but will create more adverse reactions. There is no relationship between potency and efficacy. Remember, potency is the amount needed to achieve the desired result, where efficacy is the administering more drugs does not increase efficacy, but will create more reactions because it's, efficacy is the maximal response. Now we'll talk about the undesired effects Um, all adverse reactions are undesired effects. We have side effects, which is um, predictable and dose-related. We have toxic reactions, which have an intense effect on the target organs, so it's dose-related. We have allergic effects, which is... Um, a hypersensitive reaction to a substance perceived as foreign. We have type 1, uh, 2, 3, 4. Type 1 is the most immediate reaction. It occurs within minutes or hours. This is like anaphylactic shock. And then we have type 4, which is the slowest reaction, which occurs within days or hours. And this is like contact dermatitis. It's unpredictable and not dose-related. We have an idiosyncratic reaction. This is where the reaction cannot be predicted by the clinician and is not dose-related. It's usually genetically related. So we don't know what's going to happen or what happened. We also have a teratogenic effect, which is the effect of drugs on the fetus in development. 
So pharmacodynamics are how the drug affects the body. Pharmacokinetics is what the body does to the drug. And so now we're going to talk about the pharmacokinetics, what the body does to the drug. This is the ADME, A-D-M-E. The abs- it's absorption, distribution, metabolism, and elimination. Um, four pharmacokinetic properties determine the speed of the onset, the intensity of the effect, and the duration of the drug's action, which are absorption, distru- distribution, metabolism, and elimination. Absorption depends on the route of administration of the drug. So it says entry of the therapeutic agent into the bloodstream. The rate and efficiency of the absorption depend on the route of administration. So absorption, entry of the drug to the bloodstream depends on the route of administration of the drug. Distribution, distribution of the drug to other parts of the body. So distribution is spreading out to the body. Metabolism, uh, biotransformation, this happens in the liver. It breaks down the drug. So the, the drug is broken down and converted into medication in um, the liver is the primary site for drug metabolism. Other sites include blood, lungs, etc. And then last is elimination. Elimination is excretion uh, through the kidneys. And this is where we talk about half-lives. A half-life is the time it takes for the body to eliminate half of the drug present in the body. So it usually takes six half-lives to completely eliminate the drug. So one half-life is 50%. Two half-lives is 75% and so on. Every drug has a different half-life, but most are excreted after six half-lives. Drug excretion occurs primarily in the kidneys. Drugs and their metabolites are flushed out of the body through urine. autonomic nervous system overview autonomic and the parasympathetic nervous system wait and sympathetic nervous system the autonomic nervous system is involuntary so it's automatic it has the sympathetic and the parasympathetic uh, nervous systems Sympathetic is fight or flight. Parasympathetic is rest or digest. Anti-hypertensive agents overview. We've got four different types. Well, this is how the blood pressure can be lowered in, in different ways. There's four different ways. You have beta blockers that reduce the cardiac output. Calcium channel blockers that relax blood vessels. Diuretics that remove water and reduce blood volume. And ACE inhibitors that reduce the constriction of blood vessels. 
and we need to know all of the medications for hypertension. Diuretics block the sodium reuptake in the nephrons, loop of Henle, and the kidneys. It is the first line of therapy agents for hypertension, such as hydrochlorothiazide, or HCTZ, and fluorosamide, which is Lasix. Um, and remember, the diuretics remove the water and reduce blood volume. Beta blockers reduce the cardiac output by making the heart beat more slowly with less force. Beta-1 receptors incre increase heart muscle contractions. Beta-2 receptors relax bronchial smooth muscles. So these are the drugs that end in O-L-O-L. -L. We've got the selective and non-selective beta blockers. And then, oh, the non-selective beta blockers are contraindicated for patients that have asthma. Next is the calcium channel blockers. They relax the blood vessels, inhibit calcium needed for muscle contraction. Uh, it says can cause gingival hyperplasia. Yep, it's on my list. And then the ACE inhibitors, they reduce the constriction of blood vessels. They inhibit the enzyme that produces angiotensin 2. But the thing with those, it can produce a dry cough. Next we have uh, cardiovascular agents such as anti-anginal agents. We use nitroglycerin for that. Um, congestive heart failure agents such as digoxin. But it, the side effect for that is it causes a gag reflex. Then we have the antiarrhythmia agents. They treat irregular heart rhythms, which include tachycardia, bradycardia, and atrial fibrillation. And they use um, some hypotension, hypertension drugs such as beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, and lidocaine. I don't get that. Then we have the anticoagulation agents such as warfarin, Plavix, baby aspirin, stuff like that. Patients who take this have an increased bleeding risk. So we have to take labs on them. So we, typically we get an INR, which is an international normalized ratio, to test uh, their blood clotting time. So the higher the number, the longer it takes for coagulation. Um, a value of 1 is considered normal, where patients on blood thinners have higher values. So 3 and under are safe ranges for dental procedures. Not everywhere. I know that's what it is for, like, Florida. But for Indi or for Kentucky, I think it's, like, 2.5. Then we have non-opioids, such as NSAIDs and Tylenol, acetaminophen. NSAIDs actually can interfere with the blood's ability to clot. So it is contraindicated with blood thinners such as warfarin. 
It can also cause GI irritation. Uh, so if you have peptic ulcers, you should avoid them as well. Opioids are next, and they um, can cause respiratory depression. That's why they're not good for asthmatics. Constipation and meiosis, which is a pinpoint pupil. Um, and that's meiosis, where cocaine users have dilated pupils, or mydriasis. <clears throat> but opioid users have the meiosis or pinpoint pupil. Naloxone or Narcan is an opioid antagonist and used to treat opioid overdose. So it's an antagonist. It blocks it. It blocks the receptor. So it's for people who have overdosed on opioids. And nitrous oxide used to alleviate anxiety in patients. There's no biotransformation that occurs in the body. The gas is excreted through exhalation and it wears off as soon after the mask is removed. And you should use 100% oxygen for five minutes afterwards. The only contraindications for nitrous are respiratory issues, Pregnancy, hepatitis, cystic fibrosis, infections, emotional illness, such as depression or manic behaviors, um, history of substance abuse, and um, asthma is the only respiratory issue that is not uh, contraindicated for nitrous. Everything else is, such as COPD, um, every, everything is except for asthma. You, if you're asthmatic, you can have nitrous. Nitrous has a blue tank where oxygen has a green tank. So if you think it would be flip-flopped, but it's not. Antibacterial agents. Bacteria. Bacteriocidal agents kill bacteria, where bacteriostatic agents inhibit bacterial growth. So they just stop the growth. They stunt the growth. So cidal is kill. Static is stunt the growth. Antibiotics are naturally produced by microorganisms. Side effects of antibacterial Drugs include super infections and GI upset. So a super infection is a secondary infection superimposed on an earlier one, especially by a different microbial agent that is resistant to the treatment used against the first infection. An example is candidiasis. Uh, that is a fungal infection that may occur with the use of antibiotics. So if you're taking an antibiotic because you have a urinary tract infection and you end up with candidiasis which is a fungal infection in your mouth that is a super infection um antibiotic drugs we have penicillin clindamycin and macrolide tetracycline 
which causes a discoloration of unerupted teeth. So it should not be prescribed for children under 9 years old, pregnant women, or nursing mothers. Cephalosporin or metronidazole. Those are the, uh, the classes of antibiotics. The preventative antibiotic regimens for adults with total joint replacements, i.e. and other, other um, medical issues, is 2 grams of amoxicillin one hour prior to appointment or 4 pills that are 500 milligrams of amoxicillin. An hour before appointment. Now, if you're allergic to amoxicillin, you can use clindamycin, azithromycin, or clarithromycin. And um, just one hour prior to appointment. The pediatric dose is 50 milligrams of amoxicillin an hour prior to the appointment. You have antiviral agents, such as herpes and HIV. Because those are viruses, so you would use an antiviral agent, such as acyclovir. Um, docosanol. I don't know these names. They're really confusing. But just know that you would use antiviral agents for herpes and HIV because they're, they're viral infections. Um, you would use antifungal agents for candidiasis, such as nystatin, fluconazole, ketoconazole, and for tuberculosis, the mycobacterium tuberculosis, you use anti-tuberculosis agents such as isoniazid, rifampin, pyrazinamide, etc. Next we have those antidepressant antidepression agents which cause xerostomia antipsychotic agents uh, they also cause xerostomia anti-anxiety agents uh, they also cause xerostomia also anticonvulsant agents such as dilantin Phenobarbital, Tegretol, anything that treats a seizure can cause gingival enlargement. Substance abuse, people who abuse substances can end up with meth mouth. Um, your anti-allergic agents, antihistamine corticosteroid, epinephrine. These are all things that fight against uh, anaphylaxis. And antihistamines cause xerostomia. 
Organ transplant agents, such as cyclosporine, can cause gingival hyperplasia. Corticosteroids Uh, they decrease inflammation and treat autoimmune disorders such as Addison's disease. But there's side effects um, such as an increased risk for infections, peptic ulcers, and delays in healing and osteoporosis. And this is like prednisone, methylprednisolone. And they can upset your stomach, too. Anti-diabetic reaction agents. You have... Okay, so type 1 diabetes cannot produce insulin at all, so they have to take injections of insulin. Um, type 2 diabetes, their body cannot produce enough insulin or cannot use the insulin properly, so they don't always have to take... Um, insulin injections, but they might have to get a prescription for a pill, and they can also control it sometimes with diet and exercise. So some of the pills that they can take is called like uh, repaglenidine and metformin. The side effects include hypoglycemia, poor wound healing, weight gain, and infections, including periodontal disease. And I believe this is side effects of the disease more than the medications. Anti-hyperlipidemic agents are medications used for high cholesterol. They reduce abnormally high levels of lipids. Therefore, lower the risk for arteriosclerosis, which is fat built up inside of the blood vessels. Okay, anti-hypothyroidism agents called, hypothyroidism is called cretinism in children and mixed edema in adults. Replace the insufficient levels of thyroid hormones. The drugs are levothyroxine, synthroid, etc. Anti-hyperthyroidism agents slow the production of thyroid hormones such as methamazole and tapazole. Asthma. For uh, an asthma patient, they would use a bronchodilator for acute asthma, such as albuterol. Long-acting bronchodilators relieve act asthma symptoms for a long period of time such as salmitrol, and then corticosteroids are used for long-term asthma attacks, such as fluticasone. Side effects of asthma are xerostomia and candidiasis. COPD, uh, patients take something called Atrovent to prevent the wheezing and shortness of breath, coughing, and chest tightness. Anti-GERD and anti-ulcer agents control acid production. Side effects include halitosis, xerostomia, and taste alteration. And this is like Zantac, the ranitidine, and 
omez omeprazole like prilosec um pregnancy related drug safety there's only two anesthetics that are safe to use for a pregnant woman it's lido and prilo lidocaine and prilocaine um and you can remember because of the uh what it starts with lido for lady prilocaine for pregnant so just think of it as a pregnant lady you can use the p and the l prido and lido and i know you're supposed to avoid nitrous um provide dental treatment for pregnant women during their second trimester and uh, i think you're not there's some kinds of heartburn medication you can't take and some ibuprofen, some kind of NSAIDs you can't take as well. Pre-medications for dental treatment overview. We have gone through this a bunch of times. Heart conditions that require an antibiotic, a cardiac transplant that develops cardiac valvopathy, um, artificial heart valves, history of infective endocarditis, total joint replacement for the first two years after surgery, heart conditions that do not require an antibiotic are mitral valve prolapse, rheumatic heart disease, bicuspid valve disease, calcified aortic stenosis, and congenital heart conditions such as ventricle septal defect, atrical septal defect, and hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. But uh, the ADA, American Dental Association, they've got their own guidelines. They're pretty similar to this. You gotta, you have to like stick to their guidelines. And what the patient, what their doctor says is very important um, as far as pre-medicating. Now, for the last thing, we'll talk about the controlled substances classification for Schedule 1 and so on drugs. Schedule 1 is a high potential drug for abuse. It has no medical use, such as heroin hallucinogens, opium derivatives. So that's Schedule 1. No one can get a prescription for a Schedule 1 narcotic. Schedule 2s are, they, they have a high potential for abuse as well and severe dependence. They do have a medical use, and they are cocaine, oxycodone, and amphetamines, and morphine. Schedule 3 has a less potential for abuse but a moderate dependence. So this and it does have a medical use. It's such as Tylenol 3. Schedule 4 has a less potential for abuse, limited dependence. It has the medical use and this is for like diazepam which is Valium Schedule 5, this one has the least potential for abuse, limited dependence, 
has a medical use, and this is codeine cough syrup. I was thinking like Tylenol. <laughs> the DA is a drug enforcement agency. It enforces laws and sets the abuse potential of controlled substances in the United States. Healthcare professionals such as a dental hygienist may write the prescription, but the doctor must review and sign in ink. Hmm. So the lower the number is, the highest potential for abuse. The higher the number is, the least potential there is for abuse. Gotcha. Okay. Before we end this session, I just want to go back through these drugs again. Drugs that cause xerostomia are going to be antihistamine drugs, such as Benadryl and Claritin, uh, also known as loratadine and diphenhydramine. Antidepressant drugs such as citalopram or Celexa, fluoxetine or Prozac, bupropion or Welbutrin, and Zoloft or Sertaline, and anti-anxiety drugs that end in Z-E-P-A-M or Z-O-L-A-M, such as Diazepam, Valium, Lorazepam, Ativan, Alprazolam, Xanax, and Ambium and Lunesta. Antipsychotic drugs that end in Z-I-D-E or A-P-I-N-E, such as Clozapine, Clozaril, Chloropromazine, Thorazine, and then antiemetic drugs such as Alka-Seltzer, um, anti-Parkinson's drugs such as Levodopa, and then chemo and radiation causes severe xerostomia. Then you have the antihypertensive drugs that cause xerostomia, such as the diuretics, hydrochlorothiazide, HCTZ, um, furosemide, or Lasix, the beta blockers, OLOL, such as timolol, timoctol, atinol, Tenormin, metoprolol, or lepressor. Then the calcium channel blockers that end in pine, like nifedipine, procardia, diltiazam, cardizam, or amlodipine, norvask, verapil, isoptin. God, there's so many. And then the ACE inhibitors that end in pril, P-R-I-L, such as Alanapril, Vasotec, Lysinopril, Zestril, Retinavil, and then the ARB or TAN, T-A-N, like Losartan, I'm sorry, the, the ARB that ends in TAN, T-A-N, like Losartan, um, also known as Kozar, and then the drugs that, those are all drugs that cause xerostomia. Some of them cause other side effects as well. Drugs causing gingival enlargement. We have psycho, cyclosporine, which is used to prevent organ rejection. Cyclosporine. Calcium channel blockers used for hypertension. And phenotoin or dilantin, which is used as an anti-seizure medication. All of those cause 
gingival enlargement. And then you have these other side effects, prolonged use of antibiotics, immunosuppressants or corticosteroids increases the chances of candidiasis. Inhalers for respiratory disease diseases can cause candidiasis. Digitalis or digoxin used for heart disorders can exacerbate a gag reflex. Blood thinners like warfarin and coumadin can also cause prolonged bleeding. So can aspirin and insets. And then metronidazole can cause black hairy tongue and can give a patient a metallic taste. Also, asthma patients should not take NSAIDs, and they are the only patients with a respiratory disorder that or disease that can have nitrous oxide. Okay, so that's done. Pharmacology is very hard for me. I will come back later and highlight on some important things and do some questions.